So this morning I um, referred to one of the phrases that the Buddha used. I'm not sure which sutta it's from, but the phrase in Pali was Maga Hatakilesawa, which means the path activity breaks that breaks up um, that which obstructs our capacity, our ability to uh, be present to. Uh, that which obstructs the capacity for samadhi, gatheredness, but also <clears throat> the practice, the path activity, um, when it's working with wisdom, um, not only breaks up, but it illuminates the obstructions. So we get to, uh, and when, the, when the practice is working right, we, be get, we get to see that which hinders or obstructs our ability to to uh, de- be deeply rooted in a sense of unshakable presence of heart, uh, clarity, yeah. and so <clears throat> as we begin a retreat, as we go deeper into the retreat, one of the things that's a very common for all of us to experience is we get to meet that which uh, obstructs us or that which bothers us or that which overwhelms us. And this is usually talked about as the, as the five hindrances or the classical hindrances. So tonight I want to just touch on them a bit because they're, it's important to be able to recognize them and not take them too personally. <laughs> Because generally speaking, when there's not wisdom operating, when, there's, when we're not illuminating uh, our, our consciousness, our experience with insight and wisdom, we tend to identify with the movement of mind, with the conditioning, with the patterns, with the habits, and we create a sense of self. You know, and then we judge that sense of self. And so if the hindrances arise, then we can feel very challenged or... or or we can just suppress them because we don't really we don't really want to acknowledge that we could actually have you know feel and be um, angry or upset or lustful or um, or so dull, restless, and so on. So so it's important for, for us to realize the path activity is actually going right. <laughs> There's nothing going wrong. If, in fact, instead of getting more and more peaceful, we start to feel ourselves more and more hindered. <laughs> that is actually you know, what's kind of meant to happen because we need to have the hindrances illuminated so we can begin to consciously work with them. It's very different to have a conscious relationship with the hindrances than to just be reactive to them, either being shaped by them and taking them as ourselves or repressing them because they're uncomfortable. So the five hindrances, I mean, there's like zillions of them, really, and sort of permeations of the permutations of the classical five. I mean, there's lots of different subtle manifestations, but the five main streams we can look at and identify, the first one being what's called kamma tanha, 
which means the desire, it's translated more as the desire for sensory pleasure. The second one is, is the opposite of that, the opposite of desire, it's aversion, the feeling of aversion. Um, the third one is um, the experience of heaviness or dullness. The fourth one is restlessness, and the fifth one is called, usually translated as doubt or anxiety or worry and speculation. So somewhere along the way today, we've, I'm sure we've all been visited by a version of one of these hindrances, if not all of them, <laughs> in various combinations, and sometimes they can be operating together, so it's not only one, you know, it would be very neat if we could say, okay, now there's this one, and we're going to look at this one, but sometimes there's a cacophony of all of them. You know, we, we desire to be over there because we're averse to being here. Um, you know, or the mind can be very restless and the body can be very sluggish. And the mind is restless because it can't really deal with the body. You know, we, you know, so so it's, <coughs> it's, it's really, there's something very important in the practice of mindfulness, we begin to replace our reactivity to this experience of the hindrances, either being shaped by them or repressing them. We, we, we replace that reactivity with mindfulness, so we can be mindful of the hindrances rather than becoming them and being shaped by them. We can be present to them and then we can just know them for what they are. So this first one, Kamatanha, it's all of them have layers and layers and layers. You know, um, they can it can be very very subtle. It can be very coarse. It's it's the sense in 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 this. It's not that desire in and of itself is a negative. Sometimes in Buddhism it's, it sounds like desire is bad or we shouldn't have desires. It's not that. It's really unconscious. It's the unconscious relationship to desire that keeps us in a sense of agitation and, and robs the sense of being able to be at peace or, or, or clear. Um, the Buddha made the analogy of a, a bowl of water that's constantly being whipped up by the wind. Um, so it's not, you know, desire when it's transmuted and transformed can be guided and directed and uh, can, be, can serve, uh, serve the deeper intention um, to alleviate suffering, to help. Uh, so it's not a bad energy, it's just, it's just getting a working knowledge of it. But when it's a hindrance, it, when it's a hindrance, it always has this illusion in it, or it has the delusion that, that things will be better if we move there. Or, or it can just be a sort of a, a habitual heedless sort of scanning of the sensory experience to try and find the right sensory experience that will give us a sense of completeness or fullness or happiness or alleviation from boredom. Um, so we, we sort of, you know, to try and get the right taste or sounds or sights, um, feelings, thoughts. It's, it's, it keeps us quite agitated, or, or the nature of desire is that it never points to itself. It's always pointing away. It's always pointing, moving to the next thing. Um, 
And so when we, we, sh- when we we're unconsciously shaped by desire, we literally become the desire, we become it. You know, and then we kind of get hijacked and moved. And, uh, so it's very different to, to, from becoming that desire, from keep restlessly moving from one thing to another, or thinking that you know, everything will be all right when I have the perfect circumstance, to actually illuminating when that hindrance comes up and we see it, we feel ourselves restless, feel ourselves thinking about a better place to be, uh, feel the pull of it. Well, sometimes you can just, it might not even be formulated in an idea of going somewhere, you just feel the pull of this, this energy that sort of pulls you <laughs> uh, in a, in a, in a, out. Uh, you know, something that's seeking, you're not even sure what. So to illuminate that movement and just be able to go, oh yes, that's just that, rather than I'm, I'm you know, I'm really needing this, or I'm really wanting this. Really want, you know, a piece of chocolate right now. <laughs> or really want to go to town, or really must call someone, or whatever. Just to see that movement and say, yeah, that's what it is. And then it becomes something we can contemplate. It's, it, it doesn't become a hindrance any, anymore. It becomes what's called a dharma. Becomes a movement of nature. It's just dharma. It's just nature. It's just energy. We just start to be able to illuminate it with mindfulness to notice it, um, and then we might choose: Do I follow this, or can I actually let it go? You know, actually letting go as we explore on the retreat. And the retreat is is a renunciant practice in a way because we have to let go of a lot to be able to just stay in this space, you know, we have to keep letting go of that impulse. But what we start to discover in the art of letting go, or letting these energies just be, and not having to be hijacked by them, is it, it, it helps to induct us or open us to the quality of peacefulness that can be there when we just let something be as it is, let it go. You can recognize moments of, it's okay, it's okay here. And then conversely, you know, the, the sense of the second hindrance, the feeling of maybe we're not really getting that sense of agitation, but we can just, what comes up often on retreat, and it's quite difficult, it's quite a difficult energy to acknowledge. So as I was saying this morning, it really doesn't, sit easily with the perception of ourselves of wanting to be someone nice or <laughs> someone loving and kind is when we actually have to recognize that we can feel quite irritated or angry or averse and that can get projected on ourselves you know I'm, I'm a bad person um, I'm a bad meditator and we, and we have some very deep patterns around that projection of badness, of negativity on ourselves, aversion, lack of real kindness, that's a very deep pattern. Or it can get projected on someone else in the retreat or uh, on the retreat itself or on the place or on the teachings or on the teachers or on Buddhism or <laughs> on some memory. You know, it just it just this keeps being displaced often. So we, we really feel it's the problems that 
person or that situation. Um, and you know, if I could just get rid of that, then I would be okay. It would be okay. Just sort that out. Um, and often on retreat, we get a bit more tired. We can't control the situation in the same way as we can control. It's very hard to control things on a retreat. We don't have the power base that we have in our home. You know, so we're a little bit at the mercy of the schedule and living with a group. And at first, it's always really lovely, nice, nice people, and then it can be, it's like, oh God, you know, little things can really irritate. And then it's really like, oh, I feel so guilty. <laughs> so there can be a real complex dynamic around around this hindrance, but to welcome it, you know, to welcome it, say, oh, okay, that comes up. Yes, this is the practice working. It's not going wrong. This is actually revealing. This is the place that I need to, to bring mindfulness, to bring that attentiveness, to, to, to steady again with the breath, not repress that necessarily, not get lost in it, not get caught in the storyline, but just feel it in the body. We start to move into the deeper level of understanding of the foundations of mindfulness. Where do I feel it as sensation, as feeling tone? Can I bring attentiveness there? Can I breathe there? Can I bring the mantra into that place, kindness into that place? We might not <clears throat> feel particularly averse or you know, suffer much from sense of desire, but sometimes we can meet um, and in, in some ways it's a very difficult energy which is this, the feeling of restlessness. In the classical map of uh, awakening in the Theravada school they talk about sometimes enlightenment being instant and everything drops away. You know, sometimes like in Zen or non-dual teachings just like that just awakening and there's no reverting back to the state of ignorance. Usually, I mean, that, I think that's probably pretty rare. <laughs> I think sometimes people feel that and then there's probably other, maybe unconscious, unworked out hindrances happening. But I find the, and we'll, we'll talk to that as the retreat goes on, the four stages of awakening, or what we could say is the maturing of full awakening that's laid out in the early map of, of the enlightenment process, which starts with a seed of awakening and matures and matures and matures. And as the maturing happenings, as the unshakability gets more profound and the immovability of the knowledge, the mind knowing its own nature is unmovable, uh, timeless, unshakable awareness here and now, knowingness, we really know and take refuge and understand and know intimately and directly our true nature in this way and we're less deluded and confused and shaped by the momentum of the, of the, of the hindrances, um, then, then, then awakening does become more and more unshakable. But usually what happens is we have moments of that, but then we're assailed by by um, by the hindrances that are yet un, are still operating. They're not yet rooted out. They're not yet let go of. They're not yet 
completely seen through. And even in the first stage of what's called awakening, called stream entry, even at that point there might be a real insight into the nature of what's called nibbana or deathlessness or transcendence. But still, desire and aversion are still operating. They're still operating, they're not yet cooked through. But in the last, even at the, the most mature stage, what's called the fourth stage of the arahat, one of the very last hindrances to drop away is the feeling of restlessness. So we shouldn't worry if we have restlessness. <laughs> it's actually a very, you know, we can feel it, the feeling of just bouncing off the wall sometimes. But even at a subtle level, there can just be this sense of a, a sort of a wobble or agitation in the mind. It's not quite being settled, not quite being settled in this sort of keep moving, keep moving. Sort of and while, we, while we're deluded by that energy, we keep becoming it, we keep being shaped by it, we keep moving. So, so it's very, very different when we have a moment of just being able to see this is restlessness. Not I'm restless or I shouldn't be restless, but this is this energy of agitation. I don't quite know where to put myself. Go into the downstairs shrine. No, I must go up to the upstairs. Go to my room, read a book, go and eat something. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing that just keeps, keeps us moving. We just moments of illuminating it with mindfulness, clear comprehension. It's just like this. And then conversely, <clears throat> we might, you know, it's a very common hindrance that, that uh, all of us meet in retreat, which is a great sense of, of flatness or dullness or couldn't be botheredness or just want to escape, don't want to be here. It can be just a heaviness and it might mean we just need to rest but we might have slept all day <laughs> and we know that we're quite rested and then we sit on our cushion and we just feel the mind can just go like a cloud, like that cloud that just came over the mountain, this fog. And, you know, and coupled with that sometimes a lot of resistance. Just, just don't really want to be here. Just want to go under my blanket or just this feeling of really not really wanting to be um, embodied, not really wanting to be in light. It can be very subtle. It's a very subtle sankara or, sh- or shaping energetically, psychologically. It's this deep sense of, and then we can experience it, the symptom of it can be a dullness, a flatness, a depression. But underlying that, there's often a sense of just resistance to our our life force, almost. Um, And so, to explore when that comes up, or 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 on a coarse level when that fog just comes over and we just go into a dull state, is to be able to to. In all of these hindrances, sometimes they're very powerful and they're very profound, and so we're in them before we even know. 
but sometimes as we practice being more present, being more aware, we might just catch the edge of them a bit more, just before we go with it. Just say, yes, and just hang out there at the edge and just see if we can illuminate a little bit more what's happening in the body with this hindrance, what's happening in the feeling tone, what's the storyline with it. Can I again take the breath, the presence of mind that we've been practicing, the mindfulness, the attentiveness, and I just take that a little bit more into that core of that vortex of the hindrance. And as I was saying this morning, trusting the moment of the path activity in doing that, I'm thinking, oh God, I'll never be free from this, and I'll just be forever dull, <laughs> or forever restless. Just trusting a moment of the path activity, even one moment is powerful, as is said in that phrase, it can begin to break up the solidity, the momentum, the karma, the power of it, the habit of it. And if that wasn't enough, then the last one is actually more insidious, it's more difficult to illuminate because it's so convincing. It's the it's the, uh, <clears throat> this is often um, called doubt. Uh, and it's, it's really this sense of lack of confidence or, or anxiety or worry or second guessing or am I doing it right or am I okay or needing affirmation, you know, am I, am I okay? <laughs> please tell me, <laughs> you know, is this going right, or what should I do, or um, you know, maybe, you know, and it can keep under my, I mean, there's one place of doubt which can be very positive, which is inquiry, which is, which is you know, a clear inquiry into a process. It's not saying doubt, it, it shouldn't, it doesn't have its place, but it's more this sense of that undermines our capacity to really practice. Just keeps, you know, cutting away at the ground. It's these inner voices, or, or there's this sense of worry and anxiety. So to see doubt, a moment of just seeing this is doubt, is a very, very different than being doubtful. It's a very different dynamic. That which, that which can know the hindrances isn't hindered. Yeah. That which knows the hindrances, that which is present, aware, just sees it as it is, is just present and aware. It's untainted. Yeah. You know, just like Kesara was talking last night, about the um, life of the Buddha, and there's a wonderful um, part of the story of the Buddha's life, which we can see the life of the Buddha as some historical thing that happened to someone way back and doesn't really perhaps mean very much for us, but as an archetype, which is what it is, it, it holds a truth for here and now, for each of us, it represents something. And I find this particular piece, I mean, there are many pieces that speak volumes, really, but the piece of his life that I find very 
illuminating is just before his awakening, you know, when he's um, vowed to sit on the Bodhi Vajra seat and not move until he's fully awakened. He's tried, as Kitty Sarah was saying last night, all these different pathways of, of mortification, of pleasure, and so on and so on. And then eventually he just sits. It's like, you know, okay, and he goes back to the simplicity. You know, after all the strategies of the mind, <laughs> just gives up and goes back to that memory which reminds him of the simplicity of just being being with the breath, just sitting. And as he does so, and he's just on the cusp of his awakening, he gets confronted by what's called the array of Mara, all the the forces that come to delude and undermine and overwhelm. And, you know, it's said that, you know, all the voices of fear and the the sense of duty, you should be with your family, and who are you just goofing off, and, and these fierce energies that frighten and overwhelm, and, and seductive you know, energies and, and beings that are very seductive and evoking lust, and, and, and ones that bring up hatred. It's like the the whole gamut of every possible reaction that he could have is is um, tempted in him through the appearance of Mara, which is the personification in Buddhism of of, of that which deludes, but also that which awakens. You know, without the hindrances, we don't have the journey. Or as Ajahn Chah would say, you know, without desire without the hindrances there's no practice so Mara has even Mara has a function but at that moment he's sitting under the Bodhi tree um, rooted in his practice and the array it's like the array of the mind just brings up one thing after another and he could at that moment he could get out his AK-47 and just shoot Mara dead, you know, that's like, you know. But, (laughs) he obviously didn't have an AK-47, but anyway, he he could have just, you know, like, been really aggressive and, uh, you know, gone, you know, but all he does is, 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 is a very powerful statement. He just looks at Mara, he's got his eyes open, he sees Mara, he's not like going, oh no, oh God, I can't stand it, oh, please go away, please, please, leave me alone. You know, he just looks rooted in his presence and just says, I know you. Just that simple, I know you. This knowingness, this is the quality of a Buddha, the one that knows. So, in our practice, if these hindrances arise, our practice is to be the Buddha, to be the one that knows. And just simply being present to, uh, being attentive to, illuminating the one that knows, that which is knowing, that which is bright, the original nature, illuminating 
that which hinders, that which obstructs for the sake of, you know, as, the, as that which knows can know the hindrance for what it is, then in that moment it transcends the hindrance. It's not the hindrance anymore. We're not the hindrance. The hindrance just is. It's dharma. And so the Buddha said that when these hindrances begin to fall away, when you really know them thoroughly, and you're no longer tricked or overwhelmed or reactive or repressive or being shaped by them, he said it's as if you're free from debt. It's as if you're free from sickness. It's as if you're released from prison. Or it's as if you've been on a long journey through wilderness and you find a place of refuge. The mind is free, the heart is free. Or the heart recognizes its own innate freedom and is no longer shaken. It returns to its own unshakable nature. So, in our practice, if we encounter, or not if, when we encounter uh, this experience of the five hindrances and all the subtle manifestations of each of them, to, to, to not feel it's a failure, but to recognize it's an opportunity. Each of them will, um, as we work with them, as we practice with them, they will bring uh, they will force us, really, to grow in strength, in wisdom, in clarity, in kindness, in inquiry. They are ultimately that which teaches us. They are the most true, truest of gurus, truest of teachers. They won't let us get away <laughs> until we see through them and release ourselves from them. <laughs> 